Hi, I'm Julian Spivey, and this is the Word Podcast. You can check us out anywhere you listen to podcasts. We record through Anchor. You can find us on Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify. You can check us out online at thewordwebzine.weebly.com. It is time for our final episode of 2022, where we talk about some of our favorite things in pop culture over the year. First, we will be joined by Initial Reactions, Philip Price for some of his favorite movie performances and films of 2022. Then Tyler Glover will join me to discuss his favorite album of the year, as well as a couple of his favorite television shows. After that, we'll be joined by April Hansen Spivey, who will discuss some of her favorite shows along with my favorite shows of the year. And then I will talk about my 10 favorite Americana and country music songs of the year. Uh, Before we get to that, I would like to thank everybody who's contributed to this podcast in 2022. That's April Hanson Spivey, Philip Price, Tyler Glover, Eric Fulton, Cassidy Gibson, Jonathan Spur, Alex Betts, Corey Flowers, and Addie Hemingway. Uh, Thank you for listening, and as always, uh, please give us a review and rating. Uh, It helps people find us, and uh, enjoy the last show of 2022, our favorite pop culture things of the year. All right, we're back with the Word Podcast, best of pop culture in 2022 show, and I am joined now by Philip Price. Uh, Philip, tell us a little bit about yourself and your your uh, what you do. Yeah, um, you can find me mostly on a YouTube at a channel called Tavern Talk by Initial Reaction. Um, each week, the movie tavern chain of theaters uh, or the the movie tavern uh, location here in Little Rock. Uh, is kind enough to let us see the biggest release of the week each week and then afterwards shoot a a review in their theater, um, which is really cool. And each week I have a different guest. Most of the time I try to kind of correlate it a little bit with the, uh, with the theme of the movie or with the, 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 the topic of the movie or something like that. So, um, but also just bring in a, uh, differing kind of perspective on it. Um, so yeah, if, if, uh, you're interested on, um, you know, you know, uh, opinions on the newest, biggest releases at the movies, uh, definitely go to Tavern Talk by Initial Reaction on YouTube. Uh, we also have all the social media accounts, so you can follow us there as well. But yeah, you can find the videos, the actual, the reviews themselves on YouTube. So thank you. And uh, Philip, you've been joining us the last few years, usually twice a year, one for the end of the year show that we're doing today. And then also you like to give your, uh, uh, Oscar prediction. The Oscars, yes. Hopefully we'll still be able to do that next year. I know you got a lot of things going on. Uh, but for the end of the year show, we like to ask you what your thir- three favorite film acting performances of the year were and what your three favorite films of the year were. So let's start with the acting performances. If you have them ranked, you can go from three to one if you'd like. You know, I, I, I honestly... Um... Uh, I, I have a rough sketch. Like there are a few movies, a handful of movies left. I really wanted to see before I made uh, these lists, but I'm obviously running out of time. Yeah. Um, and, and I, and I have thought a lot about, um, you know, which, um, which movies I want to put into my top 10 and every, you know, and all that and everything. Um, but as far as performances, 
it's funny because I always kind of uh, correlate the um, gosh, I'm using that word a lot tonight. Um, Those, uh, you know, feeling like the best performances have to be in in my uh, favorite movies of the year. But I guess that's not necessarily true. Um, But anyways, um, even after performance in a pretty bad movie, I've seen that before. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of it's kind of weird. Like I, I, I'm, um, are, are you wanting to do just performances across the board, or um, breaking it down like actor, actress, or what? Um, three, three of your favorites. It doesn't really matter uh, uh, any particulars. Okay, okay. Um, well, let's see then. Uh, I would say. See, I feel like I, this, again, the two I feel like I have to mention are um, two that are in some of my favorite movies of the year. And that would be um, Austin Butler and Elvis and Kate Blanchett in Tar. Now, I, I like I like those a lot. I like those performances a lot and those movies a lot. And coincidentally, I think those are probably two of your high front runners, you know, talking about Oscars a little bit. Um, for those for for the best actor actress race um, next year, so I think um, there is that. But like as far as um, some of the other ones that maybe uh, aren't as like talked about or hyped up or anything, um, one of my other you know favorite movies of the year is, and I don't know if it'll be in top three, but I really liked Pearl, which was one of Ty West's um, two movies he released this past year. Um, Pearl being the prequel to X, which was released first. Um, Mia Goth is in both of them, but um, Pearl, I just found a lot more entertaining, a lot more fun. I kind of nailed the um, the type of genre style it was going for um, a little a little more uh, pointedly, and it just her performance in that she gets this real flashy, showy kind of monologue in this unbroken shot at the end of the movie. Um, and, and her just, if, 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 uh, even if you're not a fan of, of the horror genre necessarily, I think you'll find her performance really entertaining. And so Mia Goth in Pearl, I feel like you need to mention. And then, um, another one I really want to mention who kind of like, uh, made the movie for me in a way I didn't, ex- didn't expect to, um, kind of stood out in a way that just kind of was like, kind of that old school way of like recognizing somebody on the screen and being like, Oh, who is that? Like they are really good. They just have a presence to them. And um, that is Lashana Lynch in uh, the woman King, which is kind of like your old school, you know, action epic. And, uh, you know, Viola Davis is clearly at the the head of that movie and everything, but Lashana Lynch, who is, who's had a pretty good run the last couple of years and uh, no time to die. The last Bond movie and in Captain Marvel, um, uh, and is actually in the new Matilda musical adaptation that's on um, Netflix uh, this week as she's playing Miss Honey in that. But her turn in The Woman King really, really kind of blew me away. So I know that's four, but um, those are the ones that kind of come to the top of my mind uh, um, first and foremost. That and and then all, all of the Banshees of, of Inisher. And if just that, that's in my top three, we'll get to that. But all the performances in that are magnificent. 
I haven't seen near as many movies, of course, as you have this year. I have maybe 20 to 25. And a lot of the big ones I haven't gotten around to yet because they haven't come to streaming. I don't get out to the cinema as much. But uh, two performances that I really loved were from She Said with uh, Zoe Kazan and Carrie Mulligan. I, I really love that movie and I like their performances. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think Zoe Kazan probably had the uh, uh, better uh, showing in that movie. Uh, but what did you think about that one? Yeah, I, I I liked both of those um, performances. Um, I re- I, th- I thought uh, actually Carrie Mulligan was kind of the one that stood out more to me, but that's probably because she um, uh, she has a couple scenes there that are a little more like triumphant, I guess you could say. Um, but um, yeah, I, I I liked the movie. I kind of appreciated its uh, kind of bare bones approach to the story um because it was going to be that that one that movie was always going to be tricky i felt like uh, you know uh to uh, you know uh, a hollywood production about uh kind of uh, about this hollywood scandal and everything and uh, you know how it was going to handle it but i thought it handled it really well i thought the, the way it approached the subject matter was was really well done and obviously the actresses are very credible and respectable and um i i am kind of surprised at the lack of um kind of awards attention that that one is getting uh but it again like like every movie being released in theaters lately um it's just not not packing as much of a punch as it as it probably once would have so um but yeah i mean that that movie kind of lives or dies on on those on those two lead performances and uh they're they're definitely very strong and then uh, I, I haven't seen any of his – I've only seen one of the four movies I'm about to mention so far this year. But has anybody had a better year than Colin Farrell? I know you'll get to it when you talk about the Banshees of Inisherin, uh, But also uh, he was in The Batman. Yep. He in uh, After Yang, which is appearing on a lot of uh, best movie lists. And then the one movie I've seen him in so far was 13 Lives, Ego Mortensen, directed by Ron Howard. And he was – really wonderful in that movie as well yeah 13 lives was one of the bigger surprises of the year for me just how good that that was um but yeah no colin farrell is having yeah because he's he really is like he's a lot of fun as the penguin in the batman um after yang um this is probably not the best thing to say as somebody who tries to watch um movies somewhat um you know uh, consistently and I, I don't know that I can say professionally but um, but I try and um, I, I started after Yang back in March when it first came on when it first started streaming on Showtime after its debut at the Sundance Film Festival um, and I got about halfway through it I'm intrigued um, but I was never able to go back to it I've yeah. got the screener sitting right here on my shelf and I to just restart it and watch the whole thing straight through but that's one of those ones i was trying to get to before uh, making my own top 10 list and i just have not finished it yet but yeah he's he's had a great year he's kind of settled in to his role of of this kind of um you know um interesting character actor rather than like you know big leading man uh, style that he was kind of expected to adhere to you know once he when he initially kind of burst onto the scene in the early two thousands and everything. But um, yeah, I mean, I can't say enough good thing about uh, things about Banshees and um, he, he could very well, it, it's, you know, Brendan Fraser is kind of the, uh, the, the given as the winner, but like 
Colin Farrell and Austin Butler are coming for that. And it could shape up to be a really, really interesting uh, best actor race. Yeah, I've heard that. And I think the thing that has momentum for Farrell and Butler is their movies seem to be better, uh, more acclaimed yeah. uh, Brendan Fraser's. Yeah, and I mean, I say that because both of their movies, Banshees and Elvis, will probably make my top ten. Um, the Whale, I, I thought it was really well done. I'm an Aronofsky fan, um, so I I, uh, I appreciate it was going what it was going for. I can see um, some of the complaints, not all of them, but it's uh, you know, it's it's very much a film that was adapted from a stage play. Like that is pretty evident. Um, but it is just uh, the performances that that take it that kind of transcend the sappiness or the uh, the saccharine elements of it. Um, and yeah, I mean, Brendan Fraser is definitely not one to be counted out. The movie doesn't seem to have as much momentum as it did initially after that Venice premiere and everything. But um, yeah, uh, it could be really interesting. But yeah, um, Colin Farrell. Uh, yeah, uh, you'll have to. I mean, Banshees of Inisherin is on HBO Max right now. Yeah. You'll have to let me know. When you get a chance to see it. I was going to get to that last week. And then I got on and I may have to censor myself here, but the HBO Max uh, account that I am using uh, is no longer active. So I'm probably going to have to uh, bring out the old credit card and and Mm -hmm. finally finally get it for myself because I I was looking forward to that one. Yeah, it's that's one. Unfortunately, come to my local theater. I would have seen it already. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get to your uh, top three movies of the year. Uh, we'll start with number three. Uh, well, you know, easy segue here. Um, yeah. Number three right now, what I have is uh, is Banshees. Um, it it may you know shift um, if I'm able to see a couple more. I'm you know not sure, uh, but um, yeah, Banshees is is definitely in my top three right now. Um, I'm, I'm a big. I, I've kind of been on. The, mcdonough train since 2008 anyways like um 2008 i was 21 i saw it in bruges and it was like 2008 was kind of the um one of those early first years where i was like consciously trying to go out and see as much as i could um get it introduced to kind of some of the smaller um you know indie filmmakers that were out there doing stuff at that time i remember going to kind of the local art house theater if i don't know if you remember market streets kind of riverdale now um but i remember going to see uh in bruges um and and just was like it, it was so so bleak and so dark and so like just but at the same time really really funny and like just had this really dark comedy aspect to it that I didn't know, like, I was like, oh, you can go there. People are allowed to do that. And and you're, it's okay to laugh. Like it was kind of shocking um, that, you know, someone was willing to put that out there, but I was like, good, good to know. And I, I kind of just ate it up. And so I've, I've enjoyed his work and that kind of tone since then. Um, you know, I, I really like seven psychopaths. I was a fan of three billboards and then you, this one obviously reunites Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell from in Bruges. And so I was, it was just one of my most anticipated. Couldn't wait to see what, you know, reuniting and everything. And yeah, um, it, it, it's, it's, you know, it might have a little recency bias, I guess, but, uh, I, I would say I, I, you know, kind of love this one more than, than in Bruges. And I've had a long, 
long relationship with that one, watched it every couple of years and stuff. But yeah, there's just, you know, these are themes. Banshees has a lot of themes that uh, Martin McDonough's touched on before. A lot of them dealing with, you know, the artist and uh, forsaking love for legacy and all this kind of stuff. But um, <clears throat> in the balance of those things, and that comes in the form of Brendan Gleeson trying to figure that out and sacrificing his, you know, somewhat to him meaningless friendship with this kind of just affable, nice, but, you know, no drive, no ambition. I that Colin Farrell plays and, you know, they live on this small Island in Ireland or off, off the coast of Ireland. And um, it's set in the 1920s, I believe. And, you know, it's, it's not unusual for them to just go to the pub every day in the afternoon, hang out, shoot shit, and then go back to their homes, eat dinner, go to bed. Like it's just monotonous, I guess. And it's, it, you know, Brendan Gleeson's character is getting, getting older uh, and just kind of contemplative and um, clearly is just kind of having an existential crisis of sorts. And um, it's, it's, it's one of those premises that seems so simple and so broad that you're like, how is this going to like, be impactful or meaningful or be brought around in any kind of like emotional way. And just the way McDonough uh, involves the other characters in the town um, kind of brings all the themes to a head. It's just, it's so well-written and so well-acted. And on top of that, it's, it's gorgeous to look at. And uh, McDonough's really grown as a filmmaker as well. Just kind of like, you can tell how much more, cause I watched in Bruges, I rewatched it the night before I saw Banshees and, uh, just the the difference in grown as a director and how much more cinematic Banshees looks. Um, it was it's 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 really cool to see, but like I I adore this movie and can't wait to share it with people. Feels like it's potentially the front runner for best picture so far, but it's kind of a wide open year and kind of a weird year for cinema. So, so who really knows about that? Do what? So who really knows if it's the front runner still or not? I know. Yeah. It's, I, I really don't know. Like, cause you know, by the time we get to the Oscars in March, are they in March again this year? Um, by the time we get there, it'll kind of be, they usually narrows it down to it like a two horse race or something, but I have no idea what those kind of two finalists are going to be by the time we get there. Cause it really is. Um, I mean, yeah, it could definitely between if I had to pick two, say Banshees and, uh, uh, everything everywhere all at once maybe but there's definitely some stuff that that could creep in there elvis could creep in there you know um trying to think of like some of the other end of the year stuff that might creep in there i'm not sure but maybe not even end of the year some people think uh it may go big blockbuster like a uh, top gun maverick yeah i mean very very uh or maybe a, a an end of the year blockbuster like the uh, avatar sequel yeah yeah, yeah, it it could. I, I I just it's hard for me to see it going that way, but uh, but it, it it really could. So I it's it's really hard to tell this 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 early in the process. All right, so you had the Banshees of uh, Inisherin at number three. What, what is your number two movie of the year? Um, number two is one that actually uh, just started streaming this past Friday. Um, so I don't know if you had a chance to see this one yet, but it's the the Knives Out series. Ryan Johnson's Glass Onion. Um, I loved Knives Out in 2019. Oh, I, that was my favorite movie of that year. Yeah, loved it. And so I went into Glass Onion, obviously excited, obviously anticipating it. 
um, but also, you know, kind of nervous um, that, you know, I can't, you know, obviously Netflix gave him so much money to make a couple more of these whodunits and everything. And um, I was, I was curious to see um, what he did with that, but also again, just nervous that he, it would be, you know, cause it's tough. It's tough to, to, to come up with another good mystery, another solid oh, set of intriguing characters. And, they seem like they would be incredibly hard to write. Yes. Yes. And to be able to, to, to do that again after doing it so well the first time, like it just seemed kind of an impossible task. But so I was honestly just hoping that it would be a fun time and, and pretty good. Cause I, I never expected it to live up to the first one. And honest to God, I think it might be better. Um, uh, have you watched it yet? I watched it the night it premiered and I, I actually just published my review a few hours ago of course this probably won't be published tonight but it's already on the website if anybody wants to read it i kind of find because it's a mystery i didn't want to you know spoil anything so it's kind of yeah a whole lot in there about the the actual plot but i i i did say that i didn't feel like it was as great as the first one i feel like ryan johnson may have been a little bit more focused on uh the glamour and luxuriousness of the island and the the, the house and the setting. Uh, and, I, and I don't know if this is a bad thing or not, but Janelle Monet steals a lot of the thunder from Daniel Craig's Benoit Blanc, who is, of course, the only uh, returning character from Knives Out. Yeah. But, no, I mean, Jan- but that's the bad thing because her performance is so great. Right. Yeah. She, she has to do something, um, she she's at she has a very specific and and um uh yeah i'll just say that i guess a very specific ask of her and yeah she really she really does do it well i'm always impressed when somebody is asked to do what she is what she has to do here and she pulls it off really well and um yeah but i i I, the whole setting thing like i kind of appreciated that because it it was you know you you definitely have these tropes of the the murder mystery genre and everything and and kind of the old manner with the the family and everything it, it, you know it's kind of clue-esque and all that stuff um and so to kind of like take it out to the the remote island and isolate the the group there and and put them in that isolated situation where it has to be one of them kind of thing um and, and i i just appreciated that the vibe was completely different than the first like it that it did set itself apart in that way so i i kind of i really appreciated that um there are a few um turns um in this one that um uh i i i started watching it again um because my wife hadn't seen it uh I, i went and saw it uh the first time when it ran in theaters and everything um, but obviously I wanted to watch it again and I wanted her to see it cause I clearly enjoyed it so much. And so we were watching it again and just watching it again. Um, like, uh, it's, it's one of those ones where, you know, now that you know what the twists are, you kind of, you see how you get to see how well structured it actually is and see how well written it is and everything. So to see that again is, is really cool and just love all the little things I didn't necessarily pick up time that, that but that seems so obvious now and everything um but yeah i uh, i mean i was as shocked as you know the person next to me to be like oh my gosh like i this is great and i i thought 
the ensemble was really cool. Uh, one of the most exciting things now is kind of like, I can't wait to see who he pulls in for the next ensemble and, and kind of yeah. what he does with that. I think I preferred the first ensemble more a little bit more too. I think they may have had a little bit more to do. Uh, but, and also, and this is no fault of Ryan Johnson. He couldn't have foreseen this, but Edward Norton's character is somewhat of a satire of rich, you know, tech pricks. And, and I've kind of had so much of Elon Musk this year that uh, <laughs> maybe I didn't need that to be the, the, the uh, uh, one of the main characters in the movie, but I will say, and you can't say a whole lot about it because of spoilers, but that entire second act, which is told, uh, in flashback is just absolutely brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And I thought the casting specifically of Edward Norton. Um, yeah. Like, part of me wants to know if Edward Norton fully gets it. I'm sure he does. Um, but <laughs> given Edward Norton's reputation and just how it is kind of paired, uh, you know, and if, if you're not aware of like Edward Norton's reputation as, you know, an actor, director, writer, all that kind of stuff on set and his past behaviors and stuff like that, it's whatever. Yeah. It's a total like um, send up of, of, of an Elon Musk or something like that. Um, but if, if you're aware of that, that kind of feeds into it a little extra. Um, and so I thought it was just really, I, I don't know. I, I, I thought that was really smart and really funny and maybe a little self-aware if, if, if Norton's in on the joke, I can't totally tell, but I'm assuming he is. Um, but yeah, just the way, uh, uh, yeah, it just works so well. It works as sheer entertainment. If you know, if if you if that's all you want out of it, um, but there's also plenty of uh, you know uh, commentary there. If if you want there to be, there's a lot of layers to it, pun intended. Um, but yeah, I just really, really, um, really, really enjoyed it, and um, can't wait to uh, kind of for, for more people to see it and to talk about it with more people once they once they do see it. It's kind of a smart blockbuster, which is something we don't get a whole lot of in the mm-hmm. last. So, so, so it's 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 loved by both film nerds and the uh, masses, and, and it was watched more than eight million hours uh, just in the four days since it's been uh, really on Netflix, which is ridiculous. So, literally, everybody seems to be watching this. <laughs> uh, but um, Glass Onion, a, a Knives Out mystery, is number two for you this year. So, what was your favorite? Well, actually, good segue there on the um, kind of blockbuster for the people. Everyone yeah. seems to be, you know, have a have a soft, positive consensus on it and everything. Because um, number one, um, I, you know, I go back and forth. I'm like, is, is this where I want this to land again? pun intended but um i i I gotta give it like to top gun maverick because uh and i am not somebody who like uh let me double check but like i'm not someone who um like adores the first one or had a strong uh, you know nostalgic connection to it or anything yeah so the first one came out in 1986 like the year before i was born i i you know my parents didn't like watch it growing up like I, i i had no no fondness for it necessarily right um went to see this one um i I think they had a special screening of it the tuesday before it opened in the imax um and just a packed crowd and it was just it was definitely the best like theater going experience of the year for me so that might have a little bit to do with it um but it's just like you know top to top to bottom just it's it's nothing new story wise, but it is as 
it is the best form a, a blockbuster could take. And it's just pure entertainment. So thrilling, you know, and just, it's just awesome to see with a crowd. So I just, it, the, the experience of it is a lot. I haven't watched it since, um, uh, you know, I haven't watched it at home, I should say. Um, but, uh, but have rewatched it and I, you know, I just, it's, it just, it, it, you know, it just flies by. I can't stop with these stupid puns, but, um, uh, it's just like in any, like just any, every, there's like five different parts of it where I'm like, Oh, it's so good. Oh, it's so good. Like it just executes itself. All this familiar stuff. Like it, it even plays to the kind of the same beats as the original, but it just does it so well. And then, and then if you are invested in that original one, which obviously I've, I've seen the original a couple of times and I get all the callbacks and I, I appreciate all the, the references and um, the connections to the past characters and everything. And so loose connection. Um, I was, I was moved emotionally by it as well. So it's just kind of the, it's kind of a total package. And I, I honest to God, haven't met anyone who's seen it. Who's like, nah, it was whatever. It was fine. It was okay. Um, are you that person or did you enjoy it? I cannot believe that. Well, I, I can somewhat believe that it's your number one. There was a few films in there. I thought might be it, it, So I guess it's kind of one of them, but I, it's so strange to me that it, it's number one because literally we've been trying to do this podcast for, for a few days now. And, and I didn't know, we didn't really know what time we we're going to do it tonight. And I was waiting for April to get home and for us to have dinner. So literally as soon as we're done recording this, it is already on my TV screen in the living room. <laughs> nice. Paramount is on Paramount plus now. Yeah. So I, watching it i'm i'm the idiot who decided hey why not watch it uh with my mediocre sound and small smallish tv screen at home instead of the theater so it won't be the big you know imax or the, even a cinema feature but but it's one of the few blockbusters because like you i don't have really any affinity for the original and not yeah. only that, i don't have any real affinity for tom cruise i don't think he's anything special but it's such a massive thing in the pop culture and it has been so unbelievably reviewed by people all year yeah. long that I I feel like I have to see it. So you I have don't to have see an, it. I don't have an answer for you yet to that question. <laughs> but well, yeah. uh but yeah, I Yeah, you'll have like, to let me know. Yeah, I will. I feel like as as much as everybody loves it, like I would be a real bonehead if if I didn't like it. But but they, hey, there we've had discussions about that before about movies that everybody seems to love that I have, and so you know maybe I will be the first. But I hope not. I hope I enjoy it. Uh, you know, like I said, I haven't watched it at home yet. Um, my wife is not a huge Tom Cruise. She's not. I can't even say she's not a huge Tom Cruise fan. She's not a Tom Cruise fan at all. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to convince her that to, to give this one a shot that it's worth. Um, but I'm not um, that Tom Cruise is a real person. I, he may be a robot. That's totally possible. Um, honestly, uh, <laughs> because there's something deranged going on there. Did you watch the, the ghost protocol or that mission impossible, like 10 minute stunt video they put out? Um, I have the not, dude, honestly. Honestly, yeah. if we're not talking Aaron Sorkin writing A Few Good Men, I'd mostly just leave Tom Cruise alone. 
<laughs> fair uh but yeah the, the the mission stuff the and the, the level the stunts have reached is insane but um all this obviously all this stuff in top gun and the flying and everything was you know as practical as possible and it's just I, i'll be interested to hear you know I, what, I, what you think having only seen it um at home because uh, so much of it was the experience of seeing it in a theater with the sound system on that you know giant IMAX screen with a with I mean it was a sold out crowd um and it just there was something kind of in the air that was just like oh this is you know this is like what it's supposed to be like to go to the movies and all that you know kind of corny corny stuff but uh but yeah it was it, it's it was just so fun so I'm, I'm I'll be interested to hear uh, how it plays at home if I finish it, I'll text you later but I, I'm I'm already interested in the fact that that they spent the money and they they did a lot of the the stunts themselves for the film where they could easily have done it on cgi as so many films are doing because i because i miss some of those practical uh, effects that you used to get from hollywood so I, i'm happy to hear about that yeah yeah it's it's fantastic and like i said it, it with that kind of stuff it, it really is like uh it's kind of one of those movies you just don't get a whole lot of anymore and certainly uh movies that look like that it looks it looks so good so yeah uh definitely definitely let me know how it plays at home um, as far as, I, I did want to like just shout out a couple others that'll probably be in my top ten because they could move into the three. I don't know. I haven't finalized anything, but like I'd mentioned, kind of Elvis and Pearl with the performances and everything. But some other ones really like you know rose to a lot of the award circles and stuff. Uh, but really liked uh, Vengeance B.J. Novak's directorial debut this year. I didn't. Uh, I didn't care for that one honestly. You didn't care for that one? Oh man, I loved I, it. Not like how it ended. Like it, 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 I get, I get why it ended that way. The whole movie is called Vengeance. You should see it coming. But I just, I don't really, I don't really buy a journalist doing that, and I don't buy a journalist getting that involved with the story. Yeah, well, I, I don't know. I just was. I guess that was my uh, where my suspension of uh, of disbelief yeah. belief or you know, well, you know what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah, I just kind of like let that go because it was kind of what the plot hinged on. But I, uh, um, I'm gonna blank on his name now. But uh, uh, the the brother character is just had some of the best lines of the year for me, uh, and just really enjoyed that one. So I mean, I I in general enjoyed the writing and, um, but uh, yeah, no, um, I I enjoyed After Sun as well. There's kind of a a little bit of a buzz on that one. But after some yeah. Northman, I feel like a lot of people haven't enough people haven't talked about the Northman because it came out so much earlier in the year. Um, but yeah, um, and then I guess we should say I'm on the the positive. Okay, well that's good. That's good to know. Uh, I'm <laughs> I'll probably I'll probably wait till that one streams before I get to yeah. it. Uh, and well, I, it probably won't be too long. <laughs> and I don't feel like that's one that uh, that the wife's going to be that interested in seeing. So I'll probably have to watch that by myself. Uh, I'm really happy to hear that After Sun is uh, is really good because I, I hear some people say that Paul Mescal's performance is maybe the best of the year, even if he's not getting a whole lot of Oscar buzz. It's very um, it's an acquired taste. It's really it's very like meditative. A a narrative propulsion or anything like you've really just got to kind of sit with it and and go with where so because it's just kind of observational in a lot of ways um but the dynamics that it's playing with and the uh um kind of the emotional res 
as it comes to is um is is just it was really affecting for me uh especially but um uh yeah it's it, it, it's when i watched and was like oh, okay i see what they're doing there um i can appreciate that and then the more i kind of like thought about it the more i was like golly that's it just kept me thinking it was one of those that just kind of stayed with me so it, it's one that you you might you know get to the credits and be like yeah that's fine but it it, it kind of it has the potential to to stay with you the one that I would have guessed that would have been on your list, or at least your honorable mentions, that, and maybe it's just because I saw your uh, your tweet thread about it, was I really thought you would have Tar high on your list. It's it's actually number four on my list right now, so it's right outside that top three. Uh well, I guess uh, uh, Top Gun Maverick has about a uh, two hour and change runtime, so I guess I better go hit play on that before it gets too late. So I am thrilled that you were able to join us once again I, I like that this has become a tradition at the end of the year for us uh and uh, just everybody check out uh tell us what it is again instant reaction tavern talk by initial reaction just and go you to youtube type in tavern talk and and we'll be right there but yeah um we try to do the the biggest movies uh, uh they're released in theaters um and usually it's once a week um, probably will be a little more sparse in 2023, um, but we'll still be putting out videos every now and then of, of some of the bigger releases, uh, or maybe just you know one here and there where that, that I'm interested in, not necessarily the, the biggest release of the week. But um, uh, but yeah, definitely check out Tavern Talk by Initial Reaction. Um, would definitely appreciate it. Not only is uh, our Phillips movie reviews really good, but he puts so much effort into the introductions for them along with the people he <laughs> with that it'll it'll blow you away it's not i love uh, uh ebert and siskel but it, it's there's more to it than that it's a little more uh, fun uh and, and they really go for it in their introductions before they even get to the review so i highly recommend it no you're gonna make me emotional now just talking about <laughs> talking about well, the intro yeah if, if people if people would People would think I'm crazy uh, if they knew how much time I put into those things. And there's, there's no real, there's no real reward for me other than like, Hey, I made a two minute short here. Go watch it. <laughs> well, you can tell that, that you put a lot of time into it. And, and that's definitely a good thing. Cause it, cause it, it's definitely impressive, especially for something that I know you're mostly doing on your own with a little help. I assume from, from the folks that, that do the show with you. Yeah, yeah, it, it it's cool and crazy how how willing and how game uh, people can be, and they're just are just really nice about it. Um, and that's that's another cool thing about the show. If you check it out, just like have a different person on to in, to do the review with me every week, so you get a, a, a varied set of perspectives on on these movies as well. And I just kind of try to play the steady. Um, but yeah, no, I, I appreciate that, man. I appreciate you saying that. And, um, I appreciate you sending, uh, you know, your listeners our way. Uh, so thank you for, for doing that. And thank you for saying that. I really, really do appreciate it. Yep. Of course you bet. Well, I want you to have a, I hope you have a happy uh, new year and thanks again for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Talk to you. Talk to you soon. Oscars. All right. See ya. Bye. And I'm joined once again by Tyler Glover, and we're going to talk about some of his favorite pop culture moments of uh, 2022. We like to do this every year, and I know his favorite album by far of this year is Taylor Swift's new release, Midnight. So, Tyler, you want to tell us uh, 
exactly how you feel about Midnight. Well, I just got to say, um, you know, with her re-recording projects, you know, going on for, you know, in the last two releases before this, she had been doing re-recordings and, you know, me and a lot of my fellow Swifties had been speculating that there was a possibility that we wouldn't get new material until she had finished all of the re-recordings, that that would pretty much be her, where she'd be going for a while and that we would kind of get new music because of the vault tracks, but like not really get a full complete album. And so when she announced, you know, at the VMAs <clears throat> that she would have a new album coming out um, and that it was original, uh, you know, material like that was just so exciting to hear because I definitely thought it was going to be a few more years before we would get a complete full album. So that was just so exciting. And um, then to listen to it, it was just so fantastic. I'm not going to lie when I say that I've pretty much listened to the album every day since October 21st. I'm, I'm, there may be days where I didn't hear a few songs, but I pretty much had it on replay since October 21st. Just so good. Yeah, the album that October 21st, it was produced by Swift herself along with Jack Antonoff, Soundwave, Jahan Sweet, and Keanu Beat. And it is a return to pop music. Uh, for Swift after more of an empty alternative sound on the last two original albums. Uh, how do you feel about the return to pop? Oh, I absolutely love it. But it's, you know, she really just, I love how she goes to these different eras, you know, like even with this era's tour, like, you know, she really reinvents herself with every, every album. There's a different color scheme. There's a different look. And I just love how she does it. It keeps it so exciting. And like, it keeps us excited about everything that she's doing. Um, and what was great about this is that the album especially is that it really, like it definitely is a return to pop. It definitely, you know, gives you vibes of Lover, Lover and um, 1989 um, with a hint of reputation. But there's even like, even her songwriting just feels like it got even better. Like because of like the folklore, you know, you know, which some of the best lyrics she's ever written. And it just, you could tell that she, this album was like affected by that because it's like some of, it's literally like all the bubblegummy pop with, you know, fantastic lyrics. And um, so it's really just kind of like a combination. And that's why this album really is like in my top four of her, in my top four of her best albums of all time, because I think it's just really her showcasing exactly everything that she can do. Yeah. Worldwide, the album just over two months has sold over copies and it immediately went to number one in the u.s on the 200 part it is her 11th studio album to go for one on that um it's released two singles so far uh and hero and i believe lavender hey is that correct um yes and anti-hero also went to one on the billboard hot 100 uh what are what would you say are maybe your three favorite tracks off of me? Um, you know, and it's really crazy because like um the first one, like one of my favorites on the album was like when I first listened, I was like I was like, I'll probably skip this one, like and it's probably not gonna be a good one, but Maroon. And I was actually at a um Swift dance party um a month ago. Um and this song came on and like everybody lost their minds and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is really one you know that it really is like so maroon is definitely one of them um lavender haze makes me just want to dance every time it comes on um and and i do like antihero but there's i'm telling you there, there's one called would have could have should have that 
Oh, she just, I'm telling you, I, I, there's a lot of speculation that it's about John Mayer. And let me tell you, if it is, then she definitely goes for him more than anybody, worse than she does anybody else, but especially after Dear John. And then if that one's for him too, oh my goodness. She definitely goes for the jugular with him. <laughs> so, um, um, but yeah, I would definitely probably say Lavender Hayes, uh, Maroon, and Would Have, Could Have, Should Have is probably my top three right now. Now, if you've listened to both the 3 a.m. edition and the deluxe uh, CD, there's a total of 16 tracks on this album. Uh, how How is it that Swift can continue this? Because she writes or co-writes all of her songs. How is it that she can continue to kind of output after so many years? Let, let me tell you, it, it just she amazes. She's just a, amazing. Like, and I think that's why. Like, I'm just such a huge fan of hers because she literally stuns me. Like I literally will like hear an album and think, Oh my gosh, like, I don't know that anything could top this. Like I felt that with folklore. I felt, I remember thinking that with 1989 too. I was like, well, this is her peak. This is her peak. And like, then she comes out now and it's like, Oh my gosh, this could be her peak. You know, like she just has different peaks, you know? Um, so it just, you know, it's just crazy how she's able to just keep it fresh and keep it going. Like to where people are just excited about what she's doing. Well, they're they're obviously excited because she completely uh, broke Kickstarter when her tour eras were uh, went on sale last month. I know you finally were able to your tickets for one of the shows on that. Tour. So, so how excited for you are you? Uh, and when and where are you going to see her next year? Oh yes! Oh my gosh! I was so excited. I had a friend of mine that is a um, she, me and her both. It's like are really big Swifties, and she's the one I call every time there's news. Um, and you know, she was the one who was able to get the tickets for us. And she was on her computer that first day, waited six hours. You know, then it sold out. She went on the Capital One pre-sale the next day, was able to get the tickets. Like it, she got them an hour and twenty minutes in. And uh, they sold out at an hour and 45 minutes. So she got like 25 minutes before it went. It, they said it sold out. She got tickets for us. I was super excited to know that. I've hated, I really hated it for everybody else when I saw just how much of a mess it was. And I hated it because that for everybody, I'm just, I'm really glad that I'm getting to go though. <laughs> but, um, but I was very happy to, I'm so excited to go. And I've seen her twice. I have seen her, I saw her at Speak Now. Um, in Little Rock um, in 2012 it was 11 I think it was 2011 and I saw her um, in Missouri um, in 2018 for the Reputation Tour so I got to see her the last time she toured um, because of her Lover Fest getting cancelled um, and then because of COVID and stuff um, but yeah so I'm really excited I'm going um, May, I'll be spending Cinco de Mayo with her at um, in Nashville so May 5th well, that sounds amazing. Um, do you have anything else you want to add about Taylor Swift's Midnight's album? Um, no, just that if you have not given it a listen, please do. You will not regret it. <laughs> All right, let's look over some of your favorite uh, TV series of 22. And the first one you gave me to talk about is the Game of Thrones uh, kind of spinoff, because it's a prequel to Game of Thrones, uh, titled House of the Dragon on HBO. And you can also see it season on HBO Max if you didn't catch it week to week on HBO uh, when it aired back in let's see when was that 
it premiered on August twenty first, so back in back in the fall. Um, what what did you think of House House of the Dragon? Well, I will say, like, I'm always very skeptical with with things like this because Game of Thrones was just so big and loved Game of Thrones. Um, really didn't care for the last season, but I know that I'm in the majority there. Most people didn't enjoy the last season as much. Um, so I, um, but it was, but during most of its run, it was just such a, such a good show, like with just amazing acting, you know, beautiful cinematography, um, beautiful production design, beautiful costumes, and you know, just really compelling stories that kept, you know, just kept you involved. And, and, you know, um, one of the things that drew me to Game of Thrones in the beginning was just how expendable characters that didn't seem expendable were um you know the shocking there was just so many shocking deaths in game of thrones um and um so all of that like and so i was really skeptical because i'm like how are they going to recapture that and you know and and what's crazy is that in a weird way they it it really is um good i mean like what i say it's as that as good as game of thrones not necessarily like um i think that it's you know game of thrones was more of a wide-spanning you know, universe of like different people, you know, in there, you know, and different stories going on. And this is really, since this is focusing on the Targaryen dynasty, it's really just focusing on this family, which is, you know, which one good part of that is, is that you're really able to kind of learn, they're able to flesh out the characters and give them depth, um, you know, really good, which is something that Game of Thrones really didn't struggle with too much, but it, it does allow them to you know, we're getting that depth a little quicker than we did with Game of Thrones. So um, there's so it's, it's it is really good with there. And um, and like even with the shocking deaths, they kind of continued that because there's been a few that I was very shocked at. There was one that I was really got got pretty mad about. <laughs> and um, so, um, you know, so they were um, they're capturing all of it really, really well. Um, in fact, um, I think that it's going to be I see I don't know how the Academy at the Emmys will feel about it. Like I know, I feel like it's going to clean up in the creative arts section. Just don't really know how it's going to do in like the general field with like drama series and um, the acting. Um, I know it did get nominated at the Golden Globes last week for drama series and for best lead actress, Emma Darcy um, for playing the princess Rhaenyra. Um, So, you know, I know that at least, so it looks like award get, voters are kind of giving it some attention but that is just the hollywood foreign press um so you know so yeah it's just it's it's just crazy how much of it it was able to capture in fact the only thing that i can think of that it doesn't capture as well uh, is that i I haven't seen like there were some romances that i kind of rooted for in game of thrones i haven't really found that yet if there's if they're wanting me to root for the ones that they're pushing that they're got there i'm not doing it and um um, so I don't really have that and then you know Tyrion Lannister who was played by Peter Dinklage who won I think four Emmys for playing that role it was either three or four I think it was four though um, you know he, he he was so funny and just added like really good comic relief to all the craziness that was going on and so that's kind of missed here because there's not really that character to kind of mimic that um, so and but I think everything else is just really really kind of on point I've heard that you don't necessarily have to have been a viewer or fan of Thrones to enjoy House of the Dragon. What, what do you have to say about that? Oh, yeah, definitely. It definitely is. Um, I definitely don't think that you have to know 
um, I wouldn't have even had to have watched Game of Thrones to, for this series to stand on its own. Because, it, I mean, it really, I mean, there's some things that'll kind of, they, they kind of give reference to some things that where you know, like if you've seen Game of Thrones, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, that, I remember them saying that, you know, and this prophecy, you know, in the you know original. So there are some things, but it's definitely nothing that's like jarring. Like you, you're going to be able to follow it for sure. Yeah, once again, uh, How Dragon, uh, you can watch it on HBO or now on HBO Max. It stars Patty Considine, Matt Smith, Emma DeArcy, Millie Alcock, Ifans, uh, as well as Olivia and uh, Emily Carey and others. Uh, did you have a favorite performance or character in season one of House of um, the The, you know, it's kind of, it, it was one thing I had me and my friend that watched it both kind of hated because you know mid-season they age the characters um mm-hmm. so you know you have the younger Rhaenyra for like the first five episodes and then it uh, goes up to where you have the older one and the Millie I'm trying to remember exactly Alcock. her name it's Millie Alcock the Al- last name I couldn't remember um she was just fantastic I was actually really really sad when I saw that they were aging up so fast like I thought that they would do it eventually but i thought we might get at least one season or maybe a season and a half with her before it was all she was done but i thought she was fantastic and she was honestly my favorite um i'm still actually kind of warming up to the older rhaenyra like i'm still rooting for it and i still love the show but she was just so good that it's making it a little harder for me to adjust a little bit which they do look crazy similar it's it's crazy how much they look alike so um but you know that's just good looks, you know. <laughs> Did you uh, have a favorite episode from the first season? Oh, goodness. Um, it was definitely... I'm trying to... Oh, my gosh. It was definitely the episode... I, I can't remember the name of it. Um, it was definitely the episode that was the last one of them um, with um, the younger cast. That led to all the events that, you know, when they aged it up like 10 years, they went forward 10 years. It was definitely that one because there was just, you know, a lot of shocking stuff. It was kind of like, you know, in the original Game of Thrones, there was a, the Red Wedding, which mm-hmm. is, you know, r- you know, was a really shocking, um, you know, massacre of a lot of characters. Like there were two major characters killed in that. Um, and, you know, they, the suspense in that episode leading up to this um leading up to the uh, to the wedding was just oh my goodness like you it was you didn't know what was going to happen in fact what ended up ultimately i'm not going to spoil it for anybody but what ultimately did happen was not even what you thought was going to (laughs) happen so just but they had the the tension was literally like i don't think i've sat on the edge of my seat at a tv show in a while where i literally was like i just don't know where this is going because it just panned back to all different characters and they're all doing different things and you can just and it's got that tension music and you're like oh my goodness what is gonna happen um so that was definitely the episode yeah uh and uh, let's let's switch to the other uh tv show uh, that of the year that actually just premiered uh less than a month ago as we're recording this, the end of November, and that is Netflix's Wednesday, which is part of the Adams Family uh, universe. Uh, the show is created by Alfred Gu and Miles uh, Miller, of course, based on characters from the original The Adams Family comic books, television series, movie series, and uh, four of the eight episodes are directed by famed director uh, Tim Burton who's also one of the executive producers on the show. And this series, as the title would imply, revolves around Wednesday Adams, 
who is played in the series by Jenna Ortega. Now, I've noticed that her uh, parents, uh, Gomez Adams and Morticia Adams, are listed as guest characters on the cast list, played by Louis Guzman and Catherine Zeta-Jones. So I get that the show doesn't really focus so much on them, but of of, uh, Wednesday, who's grown up. Uh, The show also co-stars Gwendolyn Christie, Ricky Lindholm, and um, Christina Ricci, who was the performer of Wednesday Adams in the 1990s films of the Adams family. So what do you have to add about Wednesday? Oh, well, let me just say, like, I, I don't, I'm not the kind of person that really, I, it takes, I, I don't know, it just takes a lot to get me excited to a show to the point of binge watching. And, you know, like, like, as far as like the last year, um, the only two that I can honestly think of that I literally binge watched was Bridgerton and Squid Game. Like, I don't think that there was it, and, and, and this one, of course. But I, you, you know, when when a show does that, it just like that just shows you like, you know, because it really it grabs your attention and like just keeps you like you're just so enthralled in it. And even though the, you know, they are guest characters like the original cast, you get to see them and like they make like, um, you know, I was actually surprised that Morticia and Gomez were in it as much as they were since they were guests. Um, and Catherine Zeta Jones, by the way, is just blowing it away as. Um, um morticia like honestly my you know i could see her getting nominated for an emmy for guest actress for it because um she's just fantastic in that role Um, four episodes of the season what was that is she in more four episodes of the first season i don't think so okay because i think i think she was only in three or four um she would not be eligible oh yeah um so yeah um but yeah, she's just fantastic. And then of course Gwendolyn Christie, I love her from Game of Thrones um, when she she played Brienne of Tar. Um, and this is just a complete opposite role for her, so that's really fun to see her play a role. Um, she plays the principal of the Nevermore Academy that Wednesday gets sent to, and she just pl- the role is so different. It's so fun, and she's so good in it. And and um, Christina Ricci too. That was just such a fun thing to, when I found out that she was going to be a part of it. And when she showed it, it was kind of a crazy thing because I knew she was a part of it. But when she showed up on the screen, I was just like, "Whoa, look at that! That's that's Wednesday," you know. And um, so it was just so much fun. And like the it, and one of the things the show does really really well <clears throat> is it really blend, blends comedy, drama, mystery, suspense. Like um, all of it, very very well. Like it's there's so many. There's just one. There's a couple parts in it that I laughed out loud so hard on that are so funny, and um. But it was also like very intriguing. You know, you were really trying to get this mystery figured out, and um. You know, I, there was even a couple plot twists that were fun. It was just it was just a really engaging show, and you know, mixed in with a universe we're kind of familiar with. Um. But you even got to see like Uncle Fester and Thing as a major part of it too um so it's just fun it's just fun such a fun show and it instantly became one of netflix's uh biggest watch shows of all time um do you have a favorite performance is the jenna ortega's uh, titular performance as wednesday or is one of the supporting uh uh, characters uh your favorites um you know it's really really, let me tell you jenna ortega is killing it she's just so perfect for this role like i'm so perfect um in fact, I saw that she was nominated for a Golden Globe for lead actress in a comedy series last week, and I was very excited to see that she's getting some recognition for it because I was like, man, she's so good in this. Um, so, yeah, I think she's fantastic. Um, but every, it's the honestly, the only person that's like to me is 
that is not I don't think perfectly cast is um uh, the the guy who's playing Gomez is Luis Guzman Guzman yeah. um he's the only one that just kind of seems a little off like it's the casting just seems a little off but everything else is just 100% perfect yeah well uh, you have anything else you want to add about Wednesday um no just that you definitely watch it it's fantastic it'll be a nice fun little eight hours all right so i want to uh repeat uh tyler's favorite uh, album of 2022 is taylor swift's midnight's no surprise there if you listen to this podcast and uh, his favorite television shows of the year are both uh, ones that debuted this year uh the house of the dragon on hbo hbo max and uh wednesday on netflix so thanks for joining me uh tyler to talk about some of your pop culture favorites of the year oh thank you all right have a good one you too All right, I'm joined by my wife, April Hanson Spivey, and we're going to talk about some of our favorite television shows of 2022. Welcome to the show, April. Thank you. I'm excited to chat about these. I definitely want to talk about the uh, top two shows on my list of the year, uh, but we'll, we'll get to some before we get to those. And I want to let everybody know that my official list, top 10 best TV shows of 2022, can be found on the Word Webzine's website through wordwebzine.weebly.com. Go to the television page, and it is the most recent article on that page and i'm not going to go through all the top 10 now because i don't want to completely spoil the list and some of these shows you have not seen this year april uh but we'll go through some of the ones that we enjoyed together i had a comedy special at number 10 on the list i had uh norm mcdonald's nothing special Ah. which aired um it premiered memorial day weekend back in late may on netflix Uh, is the first time i've ever included a comedy special on my best TV shows of uh, the year list. It's kinda, I know, I, I kind of gave it's, you a look. <laughs> it's kinda, yeah, you did. I understand it's kind of controversial because it's just one episode. It's just a special. Uh, but, uh, but it's a special it, special. It, 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 was, it was really special. Uh, it was Norm MacDonald's final comedy special. Uh, he recorded it during the pandemic in 2020. And, of course, he died of cancer in 2021. So this uh, aired posthumously. And I liked It was really funny. It was really Norm. And uh, I liked that they... It was uh, touching, too. Very touching. And I liked that they included the after show, because it was done as part of Netflix's Funnies, a comedy uh, uh, week that they do every year. And I liked that it, they got together a bunch of Norm MacDonald's real-life friends and comedy legends like David Letterman and Conan O'Brien, Adam Sandler, Dave Chappelle, and others. And they discussed both the special and then their friends. I thought it was really touching. Do you have anything you want to add about uh, Norm MacDonald's Nothing Special? Yeah, well, you know, there were times in this, but I think the the most poignant moments for me was just knowing, you know, he knew that this was likely going to be his last uh, recording. And just, it was kind of, it was special to me to see more of the poignant moments and him just being really reflective. He talked about his mom in it, and that was very uh, touching. You know, you could tell he was just, the when he delivered certain lines, you could just tell it was just a little bit more impactful. So um, just watching a comedian literally bear it all out there and knowing what he knew about his health crisis, um, it was really inspiring. Yeah, uh, you can check out uh, TV shows number nine through seven on the article on the website. Uh, but uh, number six, after a two-year hiatus, 
Uh, due to the pandemic and some shooting, I have the fourth season of uh, Stranger Things, which is also on Netflix. It was a uh, really elongated, blown-out season that they aired in parts. Uh, the finale especially was two hours and 42 minutes. I haven't even seen a movie that long this year. <laughs> um, but what the sh show did... It did really well. It gave us uh, one of the best one-season characters of any show in recent memory with uh, Joseph Quinn's uh, performance as Eddie Munson. Oh, Eddie. Um, <laughs> I think Vecna is, if not the greatest villain on in the history of Stranger Things, probably the second greatest, definitely top two. And it really gave us some great musical moments uh, in TV history with both uh, Kate Bush's Running Up That Hill, which it really resurrected, and also um, uh, Eddie Munson's performance of uh, Metallica's Masters of Master of Puppets uh, in the finale. I just thought it wasn't a perfect season. Spreading the cast out across the globe was maybe a bit of a mistake, but it may be also how they were able to shoot this uh, post-pandemic. Uh, but some of the stuff in Russia with Hopper, I didn't care as much about. I some t didn't really care as much about the the guys will and them trying to get to uh 11 in the desert but i think what the show did well it did really well in season four i think um and really besides eddie munson i think uh sadie sink uh who plays max was really just a highlight of this season as well in her relationship um it was interesting because it was kind of like her relationship with lucas um caleb caleb mc Laughlin, sorry if I pronounced that wrong, but you know, I thought that was really cool. It was a little bit less on the Eleven and Mike situation um, or relationship this year, but no, I thought it, it gave her a chance to shine and really had some great moments and you know captured some great images. Even just like looking back at the still shots from the season, it's pretty uh, spectacular. You can't get much better than uh, Eddie Munson, you know, rocking out on his guitar. Yeah, you can see what I chose for number five on the uh, website on my article. But at number four, a show that we enjoyed for six seasons and had its swan song uh, this year, the sixth season of NBC's This Is Us. It finally came to an end for the Pearson story uh, and also the end of, of Rebecca's life as played by Mandy Moore, in which I ranked as the second uh, best character uh, of the year on my list, which you can also find in the TV section of the word webzine.weebly.com. Uh, just a, a remarkable performance throughout six seasons, but especially this final season by Mandy Moore. Uh, what did you think? Uh, I know we did an entire podcast on this for people who want to go back and listen to it, but just quickly, uh, what did you think about the final season of This Is Us? I thought it was beautiful. I thought the storylines wrapped up really well. I thought Rebecca Pearson's, um, you know, her, her, and coming to an end, I think most people have seen it by now, but her, you know, slow decline or uh, with Alzheimer's and her dying, it was just very powerful. And I swear, Mandy Moore was completely robbed of an Emmy. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, wasn't her, even nominated. That was a it, shock. It was just ridiculous. She should have at least been nominated, but I thought it wrapped up all the storylines very well. We were in love with these characters, and so I was very nervous about how they were going to wrap everything up, and I thought they did a beautiful job. And really, truly, the f Mandy Moore is an incredible actress. She really showed it this last season. Yeah. And number three on my list is HBO Max's Hacks, which is a show that I had ranked number two in 2021 uh, because it had a near-perfect first season. And honestly, you could argue that the second season was possibly even better. I liked the second season more. Uh, yeah. 
Ava, as played by Hannah Einbinder, was my number one character of the year on my list that I just mentioned, where uh, Rebecca Pearson was number two. Uh, and the way that she and Jean Smart, uh, two-time Emmy winner now for this role as Deborah Vance, uh, play off of each other with Ava being kind of Generation Z and Deborah being a boomer and they both being in the comedy field, the way they just play off of each other is my favorite uh, non couple relationship on all of television. I just love those two together. It really makes the whole show. So once again, in my top three of the year, I have Hacks. And yeah, it was a fantastic season. Like I said, I think it was better than season one. I thought the storyline of um, Deborah Vance suing Ava was Mm -hmm. hilarious. Um, And then it also had an amazing cameo from uh, Lori Metcalf. (laughs) Lori Metcalf won the Emmy for that. And she, I mean, obviously if she touches something, I mean, she's so funny. And so, you know, her being the tour manager and, you know, everything for a while was, was pretty hilarious. So, yeah. Uh, my top two TV shows of 2022 were both shows that premiered this year, their first seasons, and I really hate that I had to list one number one and one number two, because it's really more like 1A and 1B, but I, you can't do that when you're doing a list. So uh, my second favorite TV show of 2022 is Severance on Apple TV+. Plus. Pretty much any genre you can think about, mix it together, and you have Severance. It's a sci-fi, it's a horror, it's a thriller, it's a black comedy. Um, And I was absolutely enthralled by every single second of the first season. Uh, The synopsis is basically uh, employees of this company go through what's known as a severance process to have their memories wiped when they enter and leave their workplace. Their workplace bodies have no idea what their life is like on the outside world, and their outside selves know nothing of their job. Uh, The series was created by Dan Erickson. It's sublimely directed by Ben Stiller and Aoife McArdle, uh, and it's mostly told through the any, what they call their worker selves, perspectives. Uh, Throughout the first season, Adam Scott's main character of Mark S., Mark Scout, he's really the only one you see both sides of their lives. And the cast is just pitch perfect. Adam Scott, as I mentioned, Britt Lower, John Turturro, Zach Cherry, Trammell Tillman, uh, Christopher Walken, and the scariest performance you're ever going to see from Patricia Arquette, who is really excellent at scary performances in her career. The whole cast is perfect. The scripts by Dan Erickson, who wrote the whole thing, are perfect. The directing's perfect. And again, it's only my number two show of the year. But what do you have to say about Severance, April? And I'm a little surprised because I would probably rank it at number one um, just because I loved it so much. And I will say it was an interesting time for me to watch this show because I started a new job. And with everybody who knows who starts a new job, they know there's stress involved. (laughs) So there was a time period where I was like, all right, you know, separating your work self from your uh, real life self, that would be great. Uh, no, (laughs) it would not be great. And this show does such a beautiful, like magical job of like really bringing the audience into the reality of, oh, this is not a good thing. Oh, this is really not a good thing. And it can just continues down this slope. Um, it's really heartbreaking. It's really heartbreaking Mm -hmm. to think of these two personalities because you're almost like you're trapping somebody, even though it's you, you are trapping a different version of yourself in this world and they don't like it really. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I've seen people refer to the inside version where they're at work as hell. 
Yeah, I mean, it really might, it, they really paint that picture. Um, but it was really neat to watch Mark, you know, Adam Scott's transformation of both his ins, innie and outie. I will say that's probably my only criticism in the show. I probably would have liked them to be called an insider and an outsider versus okay. an innie and outie. It just it reminds me of a belly button. It freaks me uh -huh. out. So <laughs> at any rate, but yeah, it's, you know, watching his transformation because both of his personalities go through a transformation of this this may not be a good situation and he was all in he was invested he went through a loss of his wife you know all this grief and you know obviously things unfold and we we learn some stuff but i'm excited there was lots of weird unanswered questions i mean what's the deal with the baby goats yeah that's what i would like to know <laughs> i'm sure it's been picked up for a second season uh which should air sometime in 2023 i can't wait and i'm sure we'll get to some of those unanswered questions some of them we may not do so Oof. that's interesting um i never rewatched the same episodes of seasons twice in, in the same year. And I did it with both of my top two shows this year. I watched them alone initially. And then I'm like, wow, these are too good not to share with you, April. Uh, so I'm like, I'm going to watch them again. I want to see what you think of them. Uh, even though they were both not sure, there were shows that I'm not sure how you would take them, but I, you enjoyed them as much as I did or, or close to as much as I did. Uh, and the second one is, is my number one show of the year. And that is The Bear, which is an FX production that airs, uh, that streams on Hulu. And man, just like Severance, I was completely blown away with every moment of the bear. Uh, and I didn't I mean, know. There's a, is there a bear in it, right? <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I didn't know what to expect going in. Uh, primarily because if you watch the trailer for it, you kind of it kind of seems like it's going to be more like a workplace sitcom. Mm -hmm. Uh, and also when you get a show that's in the 30 minute or less format, you really do expect it to be a comedy, a sitcom, but it's really, and there are definitely very funny moments. Some of the funniest moments in television this year are in this series, but it's also very dark and dramatic and creator, writer, Christopher Storer, he gives us the single greatest work of fiction about the restaurant industry ever. And it includes such naturalistic performances, especially from its lead, Jeremy Allen White as Carmi, and then uh, Ao Edebiri as uh, Sydney, and Ebon Moss Backrack as Richie. I, I I had all three of those performances on my best TV characters of the year list. That's on the website. Uh, Carmi, played by White, has overtaken his deceased brother's sandwich shop in Chicago with the intent to turn into something bigger and better while struggling to keep it alive amidst some staff who don't want change and also coping with the death of his addict brother it's only eight episodes long but they are also captivating especially the seventh episode titled review which is the single greatest episode of television this year and some people have said i saw somebody say a critic in fact that it will be studied in film classes in the future and this is a 20 minute episode of television that's done in one shot uh what do you have to say about the bear well i want to i want to clarify because you said sandwich shop it's the original beef of chicagoland yeah, it's an italian shop. beef shop look i'm originally from chicago and this was part of the reason why i really loved it um, it's very Chicago. It's fast paced. I love the the dialogue. I mean, it's just I I have some relatives that remind me of Richie. <laughs> like it's very it's not overdone. Like these these characters, I can see them living in Chicago. I can see them working in Chicago. It's just really um, very cool. And just watching. Carmi deal with this kind of fall from sort of fall from grace. Not really. I mean, because he left this this you know top chef world to and not like the tv show top chef like a really top um career as a chef to take over his deceased brother's um italian beef beef restaurant 
was very interesting to watch that because he's dealing with the grief and the anxiety of also just being in that world. And it's just, it's very cool. And I love Sydney and um, Marcus too, uh, oh, Lionel yeah. Boyce. Yeah. Um, uh, somebody said the best, uh, I, I said the best non-couple relationship of the year, in my opinion, was uh, Ava and um, Deborah and, and Hacks. But mm-hmm. I saw an article today that said the best non-relationship, uh, non-couple relationship of the year was Marcus and his donuts <laughs> and the bear, <laughs> which is true. I love it. I love that so much because really you have this really fast-paced show in this crazy, you know, just we were open to this crazy world of being a chef and being in the a restaurant business, which I had no apparently knowledge of based on this. It was amazing to get a glimpse into that world. And then you have Marcus, who's just on his own quiet path of wanting to excel at baking, donut making, and he's kind of like the calm in the midst of the chaos. So I actually really enjoyed his character, even though it was kind of, I mean, it was minor, for the most part, I mean, I don't know. It was a great cast all around. Yeah, people who work, who have worked or work in the restaurant industry have said it is so realistic. And they love it for that fact. But also some people who have had that experience kind of get a little PTSD from watching The Bear. It's that realistic. So that is... Uh, the shows that you and I have both watched together from my list, you can read the other ones on the list on the website. But is there anything that I skipped over that you really enjoyed this year that you would like to point out? Oh, gosh. Um... Well, I loved Ghosts. <laughs> Ghosts, which aired uh, the second half of its first season early this year, and then has aired the first half of its second season uh, this fall, is an amazing sitcom on CBS. Uh, one of the best. Uh, so definitely, uh, I, I do recommend that. If I had a next 10 it likely would have been in that this year uh but what do you want to say about ghosts well i really i don't i just love the creative concept i love when shows do something different you know we have a lot of repeat shows i mean we see a lot of the same kind of themes but ghosts is very cool i mean obviously it used to it was a british show so it kind of follows that whole like office trajectory but um it is about a woman who gets um like electrocuted and almost i believe she was electrocuted but basically has this near-death experience and now she can see ghosts in this mansion that she has inherited with her husband so it's very cool you know we've got um a native american ghost we have a you know jazz singer ghost we have someone from you know the revolution i mean it's a long a whole story we have (laughs) trevor who is you know a frat boy with no pants which i know sounds weird but you just have to watch the show we've got the hippie flower who's amazing we've got hetty who's and you're you're leaving out so far the i know who may be the most funniest or maybe the funniest ghost of them all the uh, the viking i know thorfinn thorfinn (laughs) the viking so we've got this you know eris and then we've got thorfinn the the viking so it's just a cool cast of characters and because you have all of this diversity within Mm -hmm. the cast in these different time periods it's just very funny and very cool so i love i love ghosts all right is that is that all you wanted to i mean i love abbott elementary yeah Um, another great show uh did well at the emmys uh it aired the second half of its actually it may have aired its entire first season this year i can't remember uh, no, I think it did debut last year. So it aired the second half of its first season this year and the first half of its second season, mm-hmm. uh, if I said that correctly, yeah. in this in fall. Uh, yeah. Another great show, and that can be seen on ABC. And I think for, you know, everybody, I was invested right away, but I didn't laugh as much at the first season, I will say. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, there were definitely some wonderful moments, but, man, I'm I'm completely sold in this. It took season. me a while to get going on Abbott Elementary, but I went back 
and watched the first four or so episodes with my parents when they were here before Christmas because uh, my mom was an elementary school teacher. I wanted her to see it. And watching these characters again in the first few episodes after having seen them throughout the four, full first season and the first part of the second season, I realized those first few episodes were actually pretty amazing in their own right. It just may have taken me a little while to get used to the show's flow and the characters. I think there is that whole... Um fear with shows like that is oh it's too much like the office and they're trying to repeat the office and it is i mean it's set up in a documentary style and all that stuff but man it's very much its own it's i think it's an important show i think it's you know especially when we're talking about teachers and the way they're treated nowadays and everything i just think it's an important show and very funny i need to go i loved the first season Mm -hmm. i loved it more than you did initially Mm -hmm. when we watched it but now i need to go back and and rewatch. i feel like all right, well, that is uh, April Hansen Spivey and Julian Spivey talking about their favorite TV shows of 2022. Uh, thanks for listening. Every year at the Word Webzine, we like to do a list of the best country and Americana songs of the year. This year, we rank the top 50. We also have an additional 50 songs unranked, kind of the honorable mentions. Uh, if you want to look at the complete list, please go to the wordwebzine.weebly.com and find the music section. But today, we're going to talk about the 10 best country music or Americana songs of 2022 as part of our Best in Pop Culture of the Year last podcast of 2022. Uh, Number 10 on the list is a song called Broke Again by Joshua Headley. Joshua Headley's debut album, Mr. Jukebox, in 2018 had a country-politan 60s sound. His sophomore release this year, Neon Blue, takes on 90s mainstream country music. Uh, The best track off the album is Broke Again, which I know would have been a number one smash had it come out in the 90s. It's honestly a good song for 2022 with prices skyrocketing due to inflation, but it's also fun enough to briefly forget about all that crap and just enjoy some nice country music. So number 10, Broke Again by Joshua Headley. Number nine on the list is Scale These Walls by Caroline Spence. It's one of the most beautiful songs, both vocally, sonically, and lyrically, all year. It's off of her latest album, True North. Uh, Jeff Gimmel for the Old Grey Cat website described the song as an introvert's love song. I think that's a pretty spot-on summation. The narrator of the song is fully capable of living and doing things on her own, but that doesn't mean she wouldn't be accepting of a love that is able to break through her barriers. Uh, The vocal makes it seem like she's yearning for it. It's just an amazing song. Number nine, Scale These Walls by Caroline Spence. Number eight is John Fulbright's Paranoid Heart. Fulbright is one of today's brightest songwriters. Uh, Who else would throw a word like cerulean into a song? And Paranoid Heart is my favorite track off his latest album, The Liar. Uh... It's his first album in eight years, believe it or not. The song is a call to love that begins slowly before turning into an impassioned rocker. It's got a nice slide guitar solo from Jesse Acock. Uh, And the repeated line, I will never speak your name if it's not out of love again, and the chorus is just so powerful. So number eight, again, that's Paranoid Heart by John Fulbright. Number seven is Feeling the Miles by The Wilder Blue. It's my favorite track off of their sophomore self-titled album. 
Uh, but in some ways, it's actually the least country-sounding track on their record. Uh, you can even hear some disco vibes in the song, which is something I generally would turn against. It works for this one, though. The Wilder Blue have reminded me occasionally of the Eagles on certain tracks they do. And if that analogy continues, Feeling the Miles would be there one of these nights. And I think Zane Williams' vocal is definitely one of my favorites of the year. Once again, at number seven, The Wilder Blue with Feeling the Miles. Number six on the list is Out of Time by Orville Peck. His album this year, Bronco, is terrific. There are multiple songs off the album in the top 50 if you go to the website and read the entire piece. Uh, but Out of Time was my favorite from the album. It's gorgeous. It has a catchy, simplistic chorus. It's easy to listen to. Uh, but the verses have the kind of specificity that I enjoy from a songwriter, like the second verse in which he mentions a woman trying to chat him up and mentioning that she doesn't like Elvis, which obviously offends him. Uh, just a great song at number six, or, uh, Orville Peck with Out of Time. Number five on the list is uh, a guy who's had a huge year. He's uh, also released two albums, one of which was the double album American Heartbreak, and that is Zach Bryan, and his top song this year for me is Something in the Orange. Um it has vivid lyricism and in the song Brian remembers the fall of a relationship that he depended on so much but doesn't believe he'll ever see coming back his way through the horizon. The vulnerability in Brian's scarred voice comes through perfectly. Number five on my list this year, Something in the Orange by Zach Bryan. Number four is one of the real breakout groups, one of the up-and-comers in country music. I think you'll be hearing a lot from them in the, in the years coming. And they also had one of the best albums this year, and Fortune Favors the Bold. That is 49 Winchester, and number four on my list is their song, Russell County Line. Uh, it's about longing to be with the one you love back home while having a career as a touring music musician. Uh, Isaac Gibson, the band's vocalist and guitarist, penned the song, and it truly shows off his made-for-country music voice. Uh, once again, that is 49 Winchester with Russell County Line at number four on the list. All right, we made it to the top three. Last year, my uh, number one song was uh, one co-written by Miranda Lambert. It was Ghost off her great The Marfa Tapes album with uh, Jack Ingram and John Randall. And once again, she pops into the top three on my uh, Best Country Music and Americana Songs of the Year list. And number three is Carousel by Miranda Lambert. Lambert loves circus imagery in her music. Most notably, you could hear it in her 2013 single, All Kinds of Kinds. Uh, but Carousel off her latest album, Palomino, is the best of her circus imagery songs, in my opinion, with its tale of romance between trapeze artists. Uh, Co-written with Luke Dick and Natalie Hemby, it makes for a perfect album ender, especially with a lyric like, every show must end, every circus leaves town. Once again, that is Carousel by Miranda Lambert as the third best country or Americana song of the year. And number two, I have 12th of June by Lyle Lovett. Uh, Lyle Lovett's 12th of June hits you right in the heartstrings like a ton, ton of bricks. In its reflection on fatherhood, family, and mortality, the date in the song's title is the birthday of his twin children, one boy and one girl, who were born in 2017. 12th of June is Lovett pouring his entire heart out in song to his family, and as a result, it is one of the absolutely most beautiful songs of 2022. That is Lyle Lovett's 12th of June at number two on the list. 
And we come to the song that I have ranked as the best country music or Americana song of 2022 for the Word Webzine, and that is Chickamacomico by American Aquarium. It's the title track of the band's newest album. It's the band's second number one on my list in the last three years. Their song, A Better South, uh, from uh, 2020 was my number one that year. This year, it's Chickamacomico. American Aquarium's BJ Barham sure knows how to write an emotional song. Uh, I... Chickamacomico is about a couple trying to get back on track after the loss of the baby, most likely via miscarriage. It's a raw portrayal of something experienced by so many couples in this world, and Barham and the band absolutely sound terrific on it. So Chickamacomico by American Aquarium is my number one country music or Americana song of 2022. Thanks for listening. If you're looking for our best of sports in 2022, you can find that in two different places. Eric Fulton and I did a full podcast about sports in 2022 a few weeks ago. I believe it would be two episodes before this if you're looking at previous episodes of the Word Podcast, so you can find it there. And I also published a lengthier piece of the best in sports in 2022, the best athletes, team, game, and much more. Uh, earlier this month on the Word Webzine, you can find us at thewordwebzine.weebly.com and search for the sports section. It is the most recent sports article in that section. So if you're looking for the best of sports of the year, you can find us there.